friends, and welcome to episode eight of the Hey Look Listen podcast. As always, I'm joined by the wonderful Liam Sheehan and the equally wonderful Ona Rudin. Gents, how are you doing today? That's very nice, eh, Marcy. The the wonderful part? Yeah, the equally wonderful. To be, yeah, to be on par with anyway. Liam Sheehan, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's only fair. Um, what are we playing, folks? What, what kind of games are we playing the last little while since we, we last spoke? Well, that's the problem. The main game I'm playing is the next oh, one we're doing because <laughs> it's the one what, we're doing for episode nine and i want to keep it secret i'm i'm pre- playing it to prepare for the next episode but you know what i did play i spent two euro two euro on it on the switch store and I hadn't played it since 1990 whatever the original doom I actually had oh. i was playing that for a while i had a good good laugh at it it's actually aged very well it's it's very um actually simple and immediate and crunchy and just like it's still very satisfying to shoot a pixelated demon with a shotgun in that game it was actually just a friend of mine messaged me he was like um yeah he just said I, i'm playing the original doom and it's like way better than i was anticipating so i wanted to give it a go i haven't finished or anything i'm mainly playing the super secret episode 9 game but um yeah doom it's because a lot of games from my childhood i keep playing you know I, I don't know how to quit games and stop loving them it's exhausting actually i want to stop talking about banjo kazooie in my fucking 30s <laughs> but um <laughs> But I've, Doom, uh, I literally, I literally hadn't played it, so I've, I was really enjoying it. I've never heard of a game uh, be described as crunchy. Is that what you? I said? think crunch, I think crunchy is like when a game is just you know like when the combat is like you know sometimes combat and like shooting or something can feel better with sound effects and a good you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing you know it just feels good to like kapow a bad guy in that game. But do you know what does that really really well? Mm. Uh, underrated game in my opinion is Bulletstorm. Because part Never of the big, yeah, part of the big gameplay mechanic with that was, uh, I think it was a grappling gun, and then upon grappling, it's essentially just fucking punching someone straight to explode, <laughs> and it just, it, you know, it's it's like fr- essentially from people can fly. It was their first game. A lot of Gears of War devs, I believe, so it almost had that satisfaction that you would get with the the chainsaw gun in Gears of War, which mm. was super satisfying. Is that the game with Jack Black? I always get put a strong confused. No, what was Brutal that? Brutal Legend. Brutal Legend. Oh, Brutal Legend. Yeah, yeah. John, what are you doing? What are you playing on? Um, I'm very. I'm actually playing a wider range of stuff right now. Um, as you know, I finished building my PC, and mm. I'm sure we'll do an episode on it at some stage. But with the amazing Game Pass, I've been able to go in and you know test out that PC. I've been playing a lot of. Age of Empires 2, the definitive edition. Super, super random, but it's it's one of those things. It's a game have I you, used to play. Have you converted a lot. have you converted any um people with priests? That was all I did in Age of Empires. Why? <laughs> can, can we just to pause for one second, because this I'm so happy this came up in the podcast. Um Liam, you used to do a very good impression of a character from Age of Empires, if I'm correct. Would you rather do that for us now? Erectus. Amazing. If people don't get that, it's well. This is why they're tuning in for this for this back and forth we have. <laughs> but go on, on what else? I do highly think? recommend the definitive edition of Age of Empires two. Free with Game Pass, obviously. Um, so I'm actually playing that online right now with my cousin back home in Ireland. So that I, it was one of those things, right? We've been talking back and forth about what can we play together. Um, now that Toronto has gone back in, or Ontario has gone back into lockdown. 
there's almost more need for for something to fill up my time. So I'm super happy that I've been able to get back into that. And Marcy, I think we should play this weekend. We should get on that. 100%. I love how everyone who builds a PC always goes, plays like a game from the fucking 90s. I know. I did the exact Snake. same thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> same thing. And oh. pr- prior to this call, I actually, I wanted to run the computers through its paces a small bit. So I picked two games just to see how they ran. One of them, I told you about you two about last night, which required a 150 gigabyte download. Um, not even to download the game, it was to update it. And the first update, all I see is Donegal Airport. And I'm like, there's no way that this requires 150 gigabytes. But the game in, the game in question was uh, Microsoft. Final Fantasy. Fl- <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, Microsoft Flight Simulator. Um, I did a quick trip. I did like my first training session and did like seven minutes out of Shannon Airport back home. That thing is extraordinary. It's insane, isn't it? It's, it's extraordinary. You know, it, there, there's something very tranquil about it, but also terrifying at the same time. I like. I think the last flight simulator that I played was probably with a joystick back in the late 90s. Mm. So the the control that they actually give you over the the airplane is, I just was totally taken back. You know, the ever like it, it was just it was it's a bit too real for me. Um, but that was super pretty. It is super fucking CPU heavy, so it almost made my computer explode. Um, and then straight after, I jumped into just the first ten minutes of Control to see how that ran. Mm. I was curious, as you know, we've actually the three of us in particular have been back and forth on that game. I mm-hmm. loved my time with it, and it's infamous for being just a powerhouse and resource heavy game uh on current gen consoles on well i suppose last gen consoles at this stage referring to playstation 4 and xbox um so i wanted to see what that game was like on ultra high settings ray tracing to the max i'd say like i was hitting like a consistent 30 frames per second with everything up high and you know everyone talks about like what's the next big evolutionary thing whether or not it's it's 3D movies in the, the cinema space. Um, everyone's talking about ray tracing um, for video games right now. You either love it or you hate it because you think it's almost too much, like looking through uh, too much reflection, really. Mm. But like seeing the level of detail that something like Control provides, where you can push every single individual paper off a desk, and one of the ray tracing uh, effects is individual ray traced pieces of that game so like literally it's you know proper real-time reflection of a piece of paper it is like it it was mind-blowing um but then out of control we can end that that's well yeah that's that's what i'm playing i should i'm gonna end it right there yeah that that deserves nothing (laughs) 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 i will say i i didn't enjoy it as a game but it gave me that same feeling i remember when i first played Metal Gear Solid 2 and you're in the tanker and the first time you see I think it's like a bar and there's a bunch of lat- like bottles in the bar. And you start shooting them. Yeah. It's like, yes. oh my God. It was the kitchen and, and stuff. You can go through the kitchen and bl- like the watermelons, I remember. Yeah, you could That's shoot everything. The effort. Same control. Especially for a PS2 game, the effort to do that, you know? Yeah, did not need to do it at all. Um, I am playing, I am also playing uh, the super secret uh, game for the next episode. Um, it's been a really rough week because I've had to play it. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah. You know what? I actually ran into a game 
breaking bug with my computer on Ooh, on that learns. for that game. Yeah. yeah, the uh, when you get a certain type of weapon and you try to go through a door by cutting some circuit, the game doesn't let you go through the door. I wish and that I, happened. Apparently, to me. it's an infamous uh, glitch in the game. That I'm is, try uh, to make I think that that's that's enough hinting, I think, for the next ep- the next episode. Yeah, let's not give it away. Shall we jump into what we want to talk about today? Yeah, super excited about this one. Me too. I think we all are. Liam isn't, though. I think he said he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but anyway, today we're going to be talking about the incredibly popular and incredibly exciting Football Management Series Championship <laughs> Manager. First release. Back, in baby. No, I'm joking. Can you imagine? We do all the championship managers, all 25 of them. Uh, no. Today we're going to be talking about <laughs> Telltale Games, uh, a company we all absolutely love. Uh, founded by the former employees of the esteemed LucasArts back in 2004, um, they initially focused on games with small but incredibly dedicated fan bases, such as the Sam and Max series, um, or the lesser known but still great Wallace and Gromit series. I don't know if you guys have ever played that. Yep. But they were great. They really were. It was one of their um, first big licensed games. Yeah, I, I missed them. Um, however, it was back in 2010 when they began to hit their stride with some more mainstream properties, such as the Back to the Future series uh, and also Jurassic Park. But we fast forward to 2012 is when they had their big breakout hit with the Walking Dead uh, series. Uh, based off the co- popular comic book series of the time, uh, it introduced a more narrative-directed approach to adventure games that deviated from the standard point-and-click adventures of yesteryear, which I'm sure we will talk about, um, giving players the ability to make real choices that impacted the story and even future sequels. Um, the series was met with critical acclaim and huge commercial success at the time. Uh, they were being like everywhere, marketed to mm-hmm. death. Um, and then after that, they continued to kind of expand quite aggressively um, into some other licensing deals. Uh, I think Game of Thrones, Batman, uh, even Minecraft uh, at the time. Um, but that kind of aggressive expansion created what you would call, I suppose, crunch time crunch time culture um, behind the scenes, uh, which not only damaged the morale, but the company's creative output, which I would love to talk about today as well. Um, with those challenges uh, kind of going public and some financial investment not working out, uh, the company was sadly forced to close most of its major studios in October 2018, um, have been rebought since and kind of rebranded, but very much the telltale we're going to talk about. I think they kind of it died, which is very depressing to start the podcast off with that um, in October 2018. Um, it's crazy that it's crazy that it's 2018 because like yeah, Walking Dead season one, which was their big big game, came out in 2013. It was such such a quick fall from grace, it was. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was actually, it was. when you think about it, and it kind of coincided with the TV shows. I don't know if you guys watched the TV show. Um, I watched I think the first four seasons, garbage, and then it kind of yeah, it just really jumped the shark. It just kind of fell apart after that. So it kind of coincided with that. Garbage is harsh, but true. Um, but I'd love to kind of start the conversation to kind of go back in time a little bit more um, and actually talk about a series that I've never played. So I just get to sit here now and continue drinking my Guinness while Owen and Liam chat away. Um, but the Monkey uh, Monkey Island series, which has absolutely influenced uh, everything Telltale has done. Obviously, some of the same developers who have been in LucasArts founded Telltale. Um, Owen, I remember growing up, you were always trying to get me to play it um, at the time. I don't know, I just I think I wasn't into it. I don't know why. I wish I had. Um, can you kind of tell me about some of your early thoughts of of playing Monkey Island and, and what you think of it today? Yeah, you know, the I think I'm right in saying that the owners and creators of Telltale really fell into Monkey Island towards the latter stages of that series. So definitely when the the series moved into the 3D graphics realm out of the beautiful, beautiful cartoon art style. You know, I'll I'll say that my love for Monkey Island, which has no end, 
but actually does it is when it moves it's uh it's it's art style so you know there's a couple of games that are the antithesis of of what makes a classic adventure game for me and uh monkey island 2 and monkey island 3 um are those games for me um they showed in terms of where you can take a genre the genre being being the adventure puzzle genre there was an an evolution there um you know you got more uh, a big thing really was bigger environments a massive massive push in uh, graphical technology um and that was the transition from monkey island 2 to monkey island 3 and huge huge charm that monkey island lost in my opinion when it moved to uh, 3d graphical style um, the, 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 the kind of interesting thing about the genesis of monkey island is that it was made as a parody it, it was a genre that existed through the 80s the point to click adventure game or the text it was text-based adventure games at mm. the time and monkey island was actually supposed to be a kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek version of that there's a lot of like anti-puzzles and you know when, when an old king's quest games or something would have like really elaborate um puzzles there's bits of monkey island where you fall he like the joke is that there's no puzzle like guybrush falls into the water and he, he can hold his breath for 10 minutes but the weird thing is that it just a parody though it may be it just absolutely in my opinion knocked everything else out of the water it was so much better like Owen said it was i think it was like we were babies when it came out, but we found it later. But some of the best writing ever in games, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like and 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 it's it's on a very short list in my opinion of games that are actually funny. I I, I don't mean to be harsh, like, but there's a lot of games that try to be funny and aren't really. But the Monkey Island games are genuinely witty and really funny. And I, I said there a while ago about wishing I could stop talking about Banjo Kazooie in my thirties. Too much of my personality has become being wistful about Monkey Island. <laughs> I absolutely adore it. I do. And I do. And it stands up. It's not. Oh, a, like, I played it's, it's not of its yeah. time. You know what I mean? Like, as in, if you go back and you play the uh, special editions now, which, by the way, are one of the best remasters of a game ever, being able to instantaneously switch between yeah, um, so cool. the remaster that they did and the old age graphics. But to this day, that writing is phenomenal. And as Liam said, very, very rarely have. I laughed at the video game that has intentionally gone out to try and be funny. Not a lot. It's a medium that hasn't necessarily fully cracked it yet. No, definitely not. And Monkey Island is definitely just one of those series that, my God, you know, to this day, you can go back and play it and it is absolutely hilarious. Yeah. I played them all in 2020. It was one of my lockdown, early lockdown projects. I was like, I'm going to play all five Monkey Island games. And I agree with own two and three are the jewels. I actually think even if you don't like the genre and I think if you're a gamer, play Monkey Island 2 in particular. Um, but I <laughs> I laughed. I was like, as soon as I, I played the games before, but as soon as I put it on, I was laughing at the jokes and it was just so charming and it's comfy. Do you, know, do you find games or books or movies that are just <laughs> comfortable to be in? Yeah. As soon as I heard the music and I was just like listening to the dialogue, and even though I remembered all the puzzles, so the kind of gameplay aspect for me wasn't there anymore. I was just so happy to just play it and kind of be there again. But that was, I was a huge fan, like, of, I was a console gamer when I was a kid, but I played PC games because of LucasArts. Uh, mm. I, I was a big fan of, like, not only Monkey Island, but other things that, uh, you know, Day of the Tentacle, Sam and Max, um, yeah. Full Throttle, these uh, these class games um, that completely, like, died out for a while. When you consider that the the video game medium is still 
so new. And I actually think that Telltale is an incredible case study of a company who didn't actually evolve with the industry that it's in. And I'm sure that we'll get into it. But something like adventure games died with console games becoming more popularized. You know, it's it's I I would argue that a lot of those initial players in the late 80s, early 90s, going into 2000s, you know, kind of got off their PCs, even though it's the master race now, as I have joined. And, <laughs> it, and that genre died out. But if people don't know, when we say LucasArts, it's Lucas refers to that Lucas. It's um, George Lucas. It's, it's his company. They made Monkey Island 1 at Skywalker Ranch. They had their offices were in the Skywalker Ranch where George Lucas lived. One of the other problems, zone, and you're you're exactly right with the turn to consoles, is that like Lucas Arts or the head the, the big wigs at Lucas Arts started to realize that you know they weren't really making as much money making these like very charming, well written graphic adventure games in comparison to you know what what major IP did they own? You know Star Wars, obviously. So Lucas Arts started. Like, I, I I'm not poo pooing old Star Wars games, um, but I kind of am because they killed <laughs> they killed point and click adventure games. <laughs> Yeah, they did, but I, I I do think we should. I don't know, maybe someday I can convince you guys to talk about some of those old Star Wars games as well because yeah. super Star Wars, nice, man. amazing, absolutely fantastic. Um, one thing you kind of said there, Liam, that just makes The Walking Dead in particular stand out for me right away is I very very much remember playing The Walking Dead for the first time. Um, so when I replayed it, because uh, when we knew we were doing uh, this chat, I also replayed it on an iPad, which shows you how much uh, technology has moved forward since then. Mm. Um, but uh, I got a different sense of nostalgia. I got a sense of like, oh, this is great. I'm glad I'm back here again. I can't wait to be sad uh, for, <laughs> for, for, for four hours um, because it's not a game that has a lot of humor. It's a game that has a lot of serious writing. Um, but it was also the first game I ever digitally downloaded as well um, to a console. Um, which was, I think, a, a big thing at the time as well. Um, but do you guys remember kind of your first interactions with it? Or maybe I've not, not even The Walking Dead, just the Telltale games in general. Well, like you said, Telltale is, uh, was founded by ex-members of LucasArts. So they began that company by making, like their kind of, um, their purpose behind it was to bring back that dead genre of point-and-click adventure games. So they started uh, making traditional point-and-click adventure games. Uh, they, they got the IP for Sam and Max. Um, they made those Wallace and Gromit games. The Walking Dead was their turn, wasn't it, to um, a different type of adventure game that they kind of invented in a way. Not exactly, but kind of definitely popularized it, where it's less based on puzzles, it's more story and choices, the choices you make and branching paths and kind of getting your own outcome. So with the, like you said, it's like really sad. I, I'm not a fan of Walking Dead. I've quit the i read and quit the comic and i watched and quit the show because i find Same. i find that the walking dead um the, the, the whole thing that kirkman tried to do it was like a long form zombie story to show you know instead of just an hour and a half movie let's see you know episode episode page by page what happens it actually happens in zombie apocalypse it actually doesn't work because there's very little you can kind of only tell one kind of story in a zombie apocalypse and it's, it's always very nihilistic and the trick is always like oh kill the optimistic guy for a shock value you know and everyone has to be all yeah sad they'll go well we we can't be human to survive in this world. So what I really remember about playing The Walking Dead, Telltale's The Walking Dead, was that I think it's so much better written than anything else that bears the name The Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah, I would 100 agree. Like the 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 main character Lee uh, Lee Ever, I think he's one. Of, I I would say he's one of the best written 
video game characters absolutely uh, i've ever experienced even though a lot of what he actually does is kind of what you create you create the story for him um but he's this you know uh, this he's a college professor who has this really murky past that you don't find out about um for, for quite a while um but also i will just flag right now there might be some spoilers here because i think we should try and talk about how episode one uh, ends in particular um because it's kind of fascinating but Owen, do you remember kind of your first interaction with, with Telltale Games and the, the first game you played? Yeah. It, for me, it actually goes back to Jurassic Park. Um, that, and that's when I think I really truly understood and knew who Telltale were as a company. So whilst I played and enjoyed the monkey like the latter monkey island series something always felt off with those right and you can tell that it even though it was made up of lucas arts employees it lacked the charm that the likes of tim schaefer and uh ron gilbert the you know the the og programmers the og writers the guys who really created um and popularized that genre it it lacked their invention right so yeah, so really, it goes back to Monkey Island. Then I was fully aware of uh, Sam and Max, a series that it wasn't near and dear to my heart, but I was full, like I was, you know, I was aware of it. I actually have no idea why it's a series that I never jumped into. Especially, it's because it's something that I would, I personally probably love. Uh, per- perfect timing. Oh, um, the first season of Telltale Sam and Max has just been remastered last year and yeah. released on on Switch and everything else. Perfect. I consider that the next game I'm playing after. I <laughs> game. Um, and then it's, as you mentioned, Marcy, it was like Wallace and Gromit. I was aware of, but then it was Jurassic park that I got super excited about. I'm a huge, huge Jurassic park fan um, on the movie front. And these guys were kind of fulfilling the promise of Nedry's lost, um, dna can and that was a big plot hook from jurassic park one so nedry character in jurassic park one drops uh, a can of shaving foam that's full of all of the dinosaur embryos and he was trying to take them off the island and that was that was a big hook that i think it was one of ingen or one of the rival companies was coming back to the island to try and take nedry's work so i always remember it from that standpoint because it was a loose tread of the movies that I was disappointed that they never went back to. Um, and it turns out that the games were fucking garbage. Like they were just like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then, uh, back to the future. So back to the future was, was a big deal because it got the majority of the voice cast back. You know, I, I believe it was, um, Christopher Lloyd was the big one to return. I don't, they didn't get uh, Michael J. Fox. Yeah. But the majority of the cast uh, returned, I believe. And I remember that being a massive deal. And again, uh, back to future holds a really, really special place in my heart. And I was, I was a big fan of that game actually. Um, And it was an evolution of the telltale style, which as Liam mentioned, it's not exactly puzzle focused. Right, and I think that was the thing. I think they were finding that if they were to to continue existing, they had to evolve, and they had to evolve what the adventure genre was as a whole. And you know, it's very clear moving from Back to the Future to what was their massive, massive hit, 
which you know was the walking dead was the focus should be on storytelling and i'll always remember it's the walking dead again you know i do i think it's their best game i actually don't um in my opinion um but it was one of the first games that appeared to break the mold of what video games is as a genre and what it was capable of doing i remember sitting with my sony veil vio um in first year of university and marcy you're 100 correct in saying that it was the first game that i digitally downloaded so they were right at that point where that was becoming the norm and episodes one to three or one to four were available and episode five was coming out um i believe it's that order of what the final episode was coming out and i remember downloading those in anticipation for just the final release i said fuck it like a tv show i'll binge the first few seasons um and i'll go straight into the last and i remember sitting in in my aunt's house in cork and playing that final episode and i fucking bawled my eyes out at <laughs> that final final episode and i remember thinking like i don't think apart from maybe final fantasy 7 a game has made me this emotionally invested in its characters yeah it it's so funny you bring up back to the future because and that's such a great point but back to the future i didn't enjoy it as a game i felt it was a bit like some of the puzzles were a bit more childish you know the it wasn't as story driven but what it gave you a good sign of is that Telltale were so good at capturing the atmosphere uh, of a license. Um, like uh, the Back to the Future game, yeah, they didn't get Michael J. Fox, but they got Christopher Lloyd, and then they got Biff uh, as well. Um, but it just it it felt like Back to the Future very very much. Like when I was watching the movies, it just that same kind of nostalgic, warm feeling. Um, and then I think they just but The Walking Dead. I think they just they'd almost mastered what they were trying to to achieve uh, with that series. Um, I think everyone bawled their eyes out at the end of, if you didn't, there's something wrong with you. But again, it also depends what what story ending you had as well. Well, I think that's the stroke of genius um, about Walking Dead season one. And I'm singling out season one of The Walking Dead um, because I think it's much better. Uh, For me, Owen, it is actually my favorite Telltale game still. I don't think they ever surpassed it. But then again, I haven't played all of them. But the genius of um, The Walking Dead design is, like Marcy said, you play as a character called Lee Everett, who is a well-written character on the page. He's like, I agree, he's one of the best video game protagonists, but he is you as well. You get to like, how much of a kind of um, personality can you have when you make all his kind of fundamental choices? So the genius in the writing of The Walking Dead is that he becomes the carer of a little girl called Clementine at the beginning of that, at the beginning of that game. And all your choices and the story itself is actually kind of based around surviving for her sake because I think if you're playing a game like that, I think you're much more likely to kind of, you know, fuck around with it. Like, as much as we love Lee Everett, I think you're kind of like, oh, what happens if I make him say this to someone? You know, because, you know, you're, you're not going you're not to think you're Lee Everett. You're going you're gonna to be yourself holding a controller or whatever. But you do, you do care about Clementine. A, because she's really well written and voice acted, but you start to really give a shit. And I think that's what really grounds that game is that you kind of start taking it much more seriously because you genuinely care for her. There's like a moment in that game where you have to like give out rations to um, all your fellow survivors and then the zombie apocalypse. So you're in a little kind of a motel with 
you don't have enough for everyone. And I remember trying to please everyone. And I was like, and people were starting to get pissed off at me. And I remember sitting there going, this isn't good. I feel really bad that these characters are like, are really angry at me. And I remember going, well, at least I have Clementine. She likes me. That is a very good like emotion for a game to get out of you. You know, it's very unique. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally think like to reiterate, it's the stroke of genius is to kind of not have you play that game for Lee Everett, but like for Clementine. Yeah, because I, I remember there's also a scene that I think the character's name is Duck. Um, I think like he's like the son of like one of the other the main adult characters. He gets caught in like a fence or something, and like you're supposed to have this big moment of whether you should, you know, shoot him because he's. I think he's turned into a zombie. Spoiler alert! I remember just like blase, like kill him. I don't care. It's not Clementine. Who cares? Like only person <laughs> I wanted in that that series to be alive was probably Lee and Clementine. Um, yeah. which is amazing. And then we can kind of talk about, you know, I suppose, I think season two was Clementine out on her own. Um, yeah. But uh, one thing I want to go back to was uh, the kind of episodic nature of, of the, of the series. Um, I, I had never played anything like that before where I had to wait. Cause I actually, I got episode one and then it's time I had to wait for two, three and four whatever to come out. The never only one I before. had, the only one I'd done was another Telltale game. Like Telltale did the fifth monkey Island game. Uh, tales of monkey island and that was my first ever encounter with oh you get the first episode and then they're still making episode two and you gotta wait that was brand new to me when was that like 2009 i'm gonna say yeah so it's it's really natural now but at the the time it was it was wild Um, it was because it that was such a things have changed so much that was such obviously a regular tv thing i might be getting the times wrong here but i remember like things like lost run tv and stuff like that so i was just so used to waiting week by week uh or however long i gotta go back marcy they they gotta they go sure, back. sure do that that, that hatch uh, tv's met your fox but how, how did <laughs> why why do you think because that, that hasn't really that kind of episodic nature hasn't stuck around with video games maybe hitman is anyone i can kind of think of um did you do you feel that kind of added to the to the game series or not or do you think it kind of was it just a bit of a gimmick liam uh go i have my opinion go well i think it helped for the size of the company they were I think it helped them get their game out because they weren't they weren't a huge company and they didn't have a shit ton of money. Um, but if I remember correctly, they constantly missed deadlines as well, and those games were constantly delayed. <laughs> they were, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, um, yeah, frustrating. Um, I, I kind of want to say, yeah, it's, it's a good business model if you can do it right. If you can, if you can kind of uh, commit to your deadlines and your release dates. What were you going to say on what? Are you are you furious with it? Do you hate it? <laughs> <laughs> I am to I I truly believe that it was the brilliance but also the demise of Telltale. It I, I, was I have another reason that I'll get to why I think it's their demise, but yeah, sorry, go on. He was drinking a milkshake in the hatch. It it, it was never <laughs> it's a lost reference. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, go on. So I was worried about this podcast. No, genuinely, I'm gonna bring up Lost once more about the evolution of uh, adventure games because i have played lost via damas um wow that, that's you you're the one who played that <laughs> go on i know you look at the playstation network scores it's just a fucking one person who played it <laughs> um it was a novelty at the time i believe it was a novelty at the time and liam is fully fully correct in saying that it was um it was it was a company that didn't have a lot of money so it was a great way to not invest a hundred million dollars into a game and produce something that's you know 12 hours long and when we take into account that their engine at the time was 
essentially new enough for them, right? Um, it was a great way to um, stretch out that process. But it's at the end of the day, it, it, it works different to television. Mm. It I, like it just works for television. I'm you know just going out here and saying it just it doesn't work for video games. Like part of why the hit, Hitman work works is you're not really following this continuous narrative. Like you're just you're just not. Um, with The Walking Dead, as Liam said, it was like they and I remember it, man. They consistently, consistently did not hit deadlines, and that makes a massive, massive difference when you're playing a video game that then is delayed for three to four months. The fact that there's so much out there to play instead, and video games are a pretty expensive hobby. You know, I I don't think we should forget that. Um, You know, what should I... We often talk on this podcast about what respects my time. You know, for me, something that is constantly and constantly delayed that's part of um, a series as a whole isn't respecting my time and i remember you you've you've paid already as well right you pay for all yeah, five you, episodes you paid for all five you, you had the choice thing to pay you episode, had the by episode or all five but i right, right, right. Point, i paid for individuals so and that's the thing right i didn't buy the season passes i did and so that's it's a great point liam i remember being because i think every episode missed this deadline and like we're not talking about like a week or two we're talking about like possibly months at a time um so i remember being incredibly frustrated just sitting there like going well, if i throw my 50 euro down the toilet but where's the next episode and it's interesting, right? It's almost like backing Kickstarters to a certain degree. Like there were stages where you're like, is this going to happen? Um, no, because like Telltale as a company, like if you actually look at the business background, it's very, very interesting because the entire company is funded by venture capitalists. You know, it's not a company that relies to stay afloat necessarily by um, like it's P&L by the sales of games. It's how much venture capitalists decide one day you know what we're happy with how sales are doing and another venture capitalist to be like you know what we're not exactly excited where this company is going we're gonna pull out so it's you know it's it doesn't necessarily work as a business model the same as any other double a studio which they were at that time um but going back to the episode thing marcy because that was totally off track it it does it, no it 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 doesn't work. I'm I'll be the first to say it it doesn't work. There's too much, um, for the video game medium. I really really feel that there is too much time. And I look at Final Fantasy VII remake. It's funny, right? Because you, I just sunk forty hours into that thing, um, and that's meant to be episodic, and like really as much fun as i had with that game the only reason why i'm going to go back to episode two is probably because of nostalgia to be quite honest and i just want to see the rest of that game realized but i'm not gonna i'm also probably not gonna get that fucking thing for like five to seven years so yeah that's a good shout because i think with with the walking dead i think each episode was about three to four hours they're fairly short so I agree with you, and I don't think the episode thing worked at all. I think, and I do think it, it kind of really led to their downfall because people just lost interest. I think the longer you had to wait for just a three or four hour game, um, you had other things to play. Um, so you definitely moved away from it. But one thing that series absolutely nailed better than a lot of games at the time, and that every single game seems to try to do now, was choice. And actually having choice in a game that genuinely impacts what's happening later. 
Um, I'll talk about a very bad example of that uh, is Skyrim. Uh, so Skyrim had, I remember, the, I remember seeing some of the previews of Skyrim. It was like, you know, choose two different paths. You can be with the rebels or be with the, you know, the, the government or whatever, kind of the, 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 the royal family, whatever it was at the time. Um, it's the exact same fucking storyline. The exact same, uh, like writing, the exact same uh, kind of arc, um, just said by different people. So I think a lot of games around that time, even since, try and almost fool you into think, thinking that the choices you're making in the game are actually impacting it, but they're really, really not. But I think The Walking Dead, like as Liam was saying, trying to keep Clementine alive, uh, shooting Duck, which I would do every other time. Always. I would never change that decision. Um, but then even kind of using the fact that you could, I remember Owen very vividly going back in the day and checking the decisions you had made uh, on the PSN. Because I remember that was a thing you, you could do. Um, I'd love to just hear some of your guys' thoughts on kind of on that and kind of how The Walking Dead kind of really, I think, nailed uh, player choice and how that kind of shaped the game and, and kind of the, the characters in it as well. Well, it's funny you say that because I recall a kind of a certain demographic of people sort of turning on Telltale. Because here's, here's what my attitude towards the choices in Telltale games are. Actually, just, I'm just going to specifically talk about it, The Walking Dead Season 1. Mm-hmm. Is that people start to realize, they start to come like, the choices in that game can can depend on what characters survive, which doesn't. And you can branch off into completely different, you know, um, paths in the story. What people began to realize when they started comparing each other's choices, like the choices are, they usually kind of come back to the same point. So you might have made this huge choice and this other player might have made this other huge choice but they both end up in the same place. And I think people started, get, started getting bitter about that. Yeah. But what I always thought of what it did perfectly was whatever about the, you know, after you finish the game and you're checking, you know, you're looking online of what you could have done or could have gone, the choices you make in the moment of walking that season one feel huge. The way the dialogue works in that game is when you're making a choice, what you're saying, um, you have to do the bar, right? The that timer. Takes yeah. It yeah, takes about 10 seconds. So you have to make so a quick. choice. You have to make a choice in the moment. And that game constructed like really tense moments where you had to make choices in tense situations under a timer. And yeah, like I said, regardless of, you know, the real behind the curtains um, impact that your choices were having, that doesn't change the fact that you have to make a hard decision in the moment. And some uh, it's some of my most like memorable um, um, decisions I have ever had to make in a game like that. I always remember episode two was set on a farm, right? It's where you're, you've brought your survivors to um, a farm and you're kind of working there. And, uh, you know, like it usually does. And then the terrible world of the walking dead, they turn out to be cannibals. But there was just like this amazing bit where you're all locked in, um, I don't know, a shed or something or, uh, yeah. And one of the guys is turning and his daughter is in there with you going, you know, <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, he's my dad. He's my dad. Yeah. Don't we, we can't kill him. And you're like, he's going to turn to a zombie. We're trapped in here. And I just remember sweating bullets. And I made the decision to smash his head with a salt rock. And like, <laughs> and it was huge. It felt huge. Like it, like you did it in front of Clementine. That was the thing as well. Like I, Clementine felt like a real. I was like, I don't want to. I was making decisions in that game to try to shield her from violence. There's an, another amazing part in that chapter where when Lee realizes that everyone downstairs is being fed humans at dinner. You have to run down really quickly to stop Clementine from tasting human, human flesh, and I was yeah. actually just like, "Oh my god, I have to get down there to stop her!" <laughs> you know, I can't have. Yeah, so that's that's how I feel. I think, um, like, I won't move on too far, but I think as Telltale went on, I think season two of The Walking Dead, even, I think it really started to have that kind of. 
I made this decision and I saved this guy's life, but um, an hour later he's dead anyway. So the so the plot lines can merge into a single thing. But I think in that first season, the choices felt huge in the moment, and that's what's important. Yeah, and I think, like I think a big thing. Not only were they huge, but you know Liam touched upon a mechanic that they utilized, which was it was almost like a countdown for the big decisions. And it puts you under massive, massive amount of pressure. And by doing so, it really made you feel that that decision would have a massive impact on the story as a whole. And like, it's a simple gameplay mechanic, but it felt really, really natural. Yeah, it was incredibly effective. And I think on that, and spoiler alert here for anyone who does want to play these, I'm going to drop a pretty big spoiler here. Um, I think it's, I'm not sure what the end of what episode it is, but it's obviously where, where Lee turns, right? He becomes uh, a zombie. That's the very um, end of episode five, right? For, yeah, so it's, I guess it yeah. is, yeah. Um, he He's chained to a radiator. Um, I think it's one of the first times you take over, maybe the very first time you take over a decision for Clementine, which is obviously leading up into season two. Um, but when you have to make that decision, there's no timer which I thought was really, really fascinating. It's kind of like every other time we've rushed you into making a big decision, you got to make a snap decision. Here what decision while, are you talking about? I think it's you have a decision to basically kill him or let him just yeah. be a zombie attached to the radiator, which is yeah. absolutely bleak. I actually can't. think, if I remember correctly, Marcy, I think you're still Lee, but you have the decision to tell her what to do. She's like there with the gun. That you have might the decision be to kind of shoot me, you know, you know I don't want to turn to walk a, away a or whatever. Or yeah. yeah, yeah. But I just love that idea. Need... They give you more time than you probably need yeah. to, to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and she's bawling and crying and like she doesn't deserve this. You're her surrogate father, but like yeah. it's the worst thing ever. And you get to decide what the last thing the last thing you say to her as well, regardless if you turn to a zombie or you um get shot in the head, you get to decide the last thing to say to her. Uh, one of the most bringing it all back, Liam. But it's, yeah, you, right. really do, you really do feel like you've let her down. Like you really do feel like, fuck, yeah. I, I failed her. And, it's, and you're, you're absolutely right, Liam, because I do think it's, it's impossible to really write a game where those decisions you're going to make, you know, imagine how much writing they have to do to have every decision really lead to different endings. It'd be, be, it'd be so much writing involved and so much preparation. But I remember thinking like, what could I have done differently throughout the last five episodes that would stop her having to make this decision and i think i don't think you can i think you always end up at at that kind of crossroads um one thing i want to talk about as well was um <laughs> the idea of uh crunch culture and i know we don't really talk about this we try to keep this podcast very kind of optimistic and kind of happy and stuff but i think what happened with telltale and the walking dead in particular does show that kind of uglier side to video game a little bit that's kind of become more and more apparent over the last few years with developers having to work so many stories so many stories coming out right yeah like i think probably cyberpunk maybe one of the most most famous should Um, you um just explain what it is yeah so i guess um yeah they they might know if you don't go off and do some research if you don't know yeah why are you listening to our gaming podcast if you don't know get out sponsored sponsored by crunchy um That Friday feeling. Was that the ad? It was. I'm delighted I remember that. <laughs> Moving on. Um, crunch time yeah, basically. Get out from a bad week of crunch. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, genuinely, and sorry if any develop, game developers are listening and are very upset right oh, now. Oh, no, um, certainly not. Probably not, no. Except for that fan <laughs> in Turkey. Thank you. Um, but crunch time is basically you know, where video games are generally setting very unrealistic goals um, and they're coming up near to them and the development teams need to really work around the clock. Um, to get there 
like I've heard horror stories from like places like Ubisoft where like bathroom breaks <laughs> were stopped um, in final hours. Um, uh, overtime will stop being paid. You're working 12, 13, 14 hours a day um, just to kind of, you know, build out parts of the game that need to be ready. Um, but I, I just wanted to talk about that and see what you, obviously we all think it's terrible and it's awful. Um, but I think it very much led to, to Telltale's uh, demise um, and kind of, it, it definitely reduced kind of the the output of what they would release afterwards and kind of spiral out of control. Um, but what do you guys think around kind of, you know, this this kind of crunch time and, 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 and how it affects these, these gaming studios? I think the problem the reason why crunch developed with telltale games was actually as a result of how they approached their business so you know i feel bad and i feel really fucking bad for everyone who had to go through that um yeah there's absolutely no doubt in saying it we've all we've all been there with work and we've all been we've all had the stress and we've all worked our 12 hour days but for me it was really really self-inflicted by um, how Telltale conducted themselves, which was, we're going to follow this episodic model that we have. We're going to buy a shit ton of licenses and we're just going to pump out as much as we can over the space of a year because what The Walking Dead has showed us is that people will buy it. Ultimately, they didn't because... I, I, uh, to be honest, Marcy, I think the big tragedy here is, um, you know, obviously one, the mental health of everyone who was at the company, but two, it was that it was the almost what could have been with the properties that they had bought. Yeah. You know, the, like the science is there of the quality of work against, uh, being burnt out, but to think of what the Batman yeah, own like, yeah, go yeah ahead. own, you should just, you, own, you should just list off the IPs that they own, that they owned by the end of that, um. By the end of the run, it was uh, crazy, un- unbelievable. It was, from what I know, off the top of my head, the Wolf Among Us, which is actually the one that I haven't played, which is meant to be one of the best. It's brilliant. Like, it's brilliant. It's yeah. absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah but absolutely. like people will forget that they've done Game of Thrones, they've done Batman, they've done Guardians of the Galaxy, they've done Minecraft, and they've done my favorite, which is Borderlands. I forgot about Borderlands. Yeah, Tales from the Borderlands. Yeah. So, you know, uh, when you, again, right, I go back to that business model. What happened was the the investors were like, we're going to fucking pump a whole load of money into this business. And what we're going to do is we're going to do the exact same thing that we did with The Walking Dead. So we're going to buy a whole load of properties and we're just going to take everything that we did in The Walking Dead and we're going to apply it and we're going to churn it out. And it's funny because I like I don't know if you guys have seen like all of the leaked documents but like word is that they had signed up with Lionsgate. Word is that they signed up with Netflix. Word is that they signed up with Warner Brothers. So apparently they had a whole ton of IPs that they yeah. were just sitting on and working for. Stranger Lionsgate Things, was... I think they started, didn't they? They started Stranger Things. And Harry Potter, apparently. Lionsgate could have been James Bond, no? Or Hunger that's, Games. Or is that no, that's that's MGM actually. That's MGM, Hunger yeah. Hunger Games, yeah. That crunch was really down to, in in my opinion, poor management and poor direction of the company. I obviously don't know how things were run. Um, so, you know, I don't want to make accusations against the uh, um, the management of that company. All I've read is the, you know, the rumors and what people have said. Um, 
But, you know, you take a poor business model, you blanket it across that company, and you're yeah. bound to end up. But my, my memory as a consumer at the time was being so blown away uh, by The Walking Dead. Like, I remember younger Liam from 2013 declaring from on high that Telltale's The Walking Dead was, like, the best game of 2013. And this was the year that had The Last of Us, had Bioshock Infinite, had, like, uh, Mario 3D World, Tomb Raider. I just remember thinking it was such a breath of fresh air. It was amazing. It was, like, that kind of new style of video game that makes you excited for the medium. And how quickly I was so sick of their model because, oh, you explained all the behind-the-scenes things there, which I wouldn't have known at the time. But from my perspective, they didn't evolve anymore. And it's, it's, so, it's so annoying because The Walking Dead was such a big evolution. It was such a big... I know there's people out there who were angry, you know, I want my traditional point-and-click adventure games. But, you know, what they did with The Walking Dead was really radical. And it really, like, really, like, you know, kick-started the genre again. Two years later, they were just like, yeah, it was cool that there was a... Uh, Wolf Among Us and Guardians of the Galaxy and all that, but it was the same thing. It was it was the same thing all the time. And like like I said earlier, the choices started feeling just less impactful. It just started feeling very rote and by the numbers. And it was, it, yeah, it, it, it's not surprising now that they kind of had a very short life because they felt I was exhausted by them two years after The Walking Dead season one. Yeah. Like, you know, and you know what's funny, right? Is The Walking Dead is essentially the evolution and reaction to players who were in the latter half of you know the old school point-and-click adventure genre where they started to deem puzzles too obtuse and i'll always always go back to grim fandango as one of the best examples of this i full disclosure adore that game it's one of my favorite games of all time me too but but there are massive, massive segments of that game and massive puzzles. And uh, Rubicava, is that the name of the city? Am I yes, getting that the right city, yeah. 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 That entire thing is essentially like one third or one quarter of the game. And it's one massive puzzle. And the entire thing is so, so obtuse, as in there's no logic to any of the puzzles that you're trying to solve. And that's some of part them of, there is. Uh, some of them there are. I, I'm sorry, I can't can't quite shit on Griffin Lango as much as that, but I, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I do agree with you. Okay, so and you know that's where and that's in my what my opinion where Telltale evolved from, right? It was like it was that's where the evolution came. But what's funny is you're seeing the opposite reaction now, which is no adventure games have any puzzle elements anymore. So you have one of my favorite games of the last few years is actually Thimbleweed Park, which is from Ron Gilbert. And in my mind, has everything that uh, the best of the Telltale games have and the old adventure games and has that added puzzle element. You know, so it's funny that we're seeing this evolution and almost de-evolution. Yeah, I would would say that Thimbleweed Park has some puzzles that are as obtuse as any other game I've ever played. There's some things that are are, are (laughs) absolutely ludicrous. It's kind of something I want to say, like the kind of the dirty secret of um, point-to-click adventure fans. Like, yeah, they're they're known for the puzzles, these games, but I don't think we're really there for the puzzles deep down. I I described them as like Quentin Tarantino coined the term hangout movie for movies. They're hangout games. Like I, I, I like a good puzzle. I love like obtuse cartoon logic puzzles as much as next man. But I, I think the secret is we're not really there for the puzzle. We're there for the characters to hang out in this world, the the, the dialogue trees, and just. I remember seeing a video of Tim Schafer, who was one of my gaming heroes. He worked on Monkey Island, like Ono said. Big he fan of the podcast. Game, just so you know. Yeah, well, <laughs> he's on <laughs> next remember, week. 
I remember watching a video of him talking. He was playing Day of the Tentacle, which is one of my favorite games, um, LucasArts. And he was replaying it after years and years. And he was like having a conversation with someone and he was choosing dialogue options. And he was like, he was like reflecting on it. This really slows the game down, you know, having choosing all these dialogue options. And I was like aghast. I was like, anyone who's sitting down to play a point and click adventure game, they have time. They're there. They're there for the slow pace, the conversations. And like, I think, I, I think the weird puzzles just facilitate everything else. But that's what was so genius about um, The Walking Dead at the time was Telltale kind of, they kind of removed the puzzles and kind of surgically kind of, you know, propped up all the other elements. But I totally agree with Owen now. I'm, yeah, I'm getting kind of antsy for more puzzle, pointedly puzzle games again because like the, the era of Telltale was so, it crumbled so quickly. You should uh, play a game I've never mentioned before called Divinity Original Sin 2. <laughs> which is full of puzzles and pointing and clicking. Actually, um, Marcy, you know what's on sale? Or you know what's on sale and just came out? Um, Disco Elysium, the director's cut. Uh, yeah. Oh, what a fantastic game. Uh, which is, yeah, maybe we can say that for another day because it, it would need many episodes. Cause it's so I'm, I'm dying to play it. It's, it play is it. fantastic. But and it is actually very similar to what Owen's kind of been describing and, and you as well, Liam, where I don't think there's any puzzles in Disco Elysium at all. It's very much story narrative driven, um, just much darker and doesn't have any kind of humor in any way, shape or form. Um, but it's fantastic. Um, but Owen, I, you said something though, on that I, I, people can't see me right now, but my jaw hit the floor. I was aghast. Your favorite would be the kidney game stones. Why did that come up? <laughs> wow. Okay. Then <laughs> I, yes, I do for our listeners. I might, I might have kidney stones. Um, yeah, I hope it's not diagnosed. Hope I'm not diagnosed with anything else, and this becomes a fucking obituary of some sort. Um, oh yeah, dark. Um, but uh, Tales from the Borderlands, I thought it was absolute shit. Did what you? Do you think? Ooh. Yeah, I, I really, I, I just, I don't, I don't love the Borderlands IP as it is, but <laughs> I would love to know why you think it was great. <laughs> well, there you go. Like, no, I like I didn't we just both said we didn't enjoy the Walking Dead comic book series or the TV show but we really oh. enjoyed the games so that's uh, the point I'm trying to make if you could book it off your horses and we could, I'm not we involved. could talk like, between you two Liam's literally on a horse I've also um, been creating a lot of nights in uh, <laughs> Age of but, Empires too so. but but how come what, why why uh, Ted's importance why is that kind of what you think yeah. stands out if, if okay so for me it was one of the first Telltale games that truly had a bit of evolution to its games or to its gameplay um, and its characters. So, on the gameplay front and on the mechanical front, um, stylistically, it was so much different to what it had done before. So, I'll go. Let me reference how action was represented in The Walking Dead. Um, and how it's represented in Tales of the Borderlands. You know, there's a scene that sticks out in my mind where uh, Lee is essentially fucking beating a zombie's head in with a hammer, I believe it is, in a kitchen. And I think it's, I think it's, it might be Clementine's house and it might be one of the first times that you properly encounter uh, a zombie. So you're learning the mechanics of how it works. And I remember it being so... Um, cumbersome i remember it being one of the things that really detached me from the experience because it was trying to represent the experience of beating a zombie down but you know it's kind of one of those things of 
of um, how do you really make something feel real and does it actually work in the medium? And my girlfriend is, you know, fucking charped on me about like every time I mentioned The Last of Us 2 on this podcast. But like everything is so intentional about what you do in that game is meant to feel like real life. So if something is cumbersome, it'll feel cumbersome. If it takes you X amount of time to walk this distance, it will take that amount of time. So something like The Walking Dead, from a action point of view, it was it didn't work and it took me out of the experience. Just on that before you go, because I try to get the point you're making. Yeah. That that's why I loved it. Because I think the idea of I know the exact direction you're talking about is very serious of the first episode. I think it wasn't intentionally supposed to be kind of cumbersome because it was kind of adding this layer of panic to, you know, because you're it's a time situation. You got to kill that zombie. Um, so it's it's almost cumbersome on purpose. Yeah, I think that I think that kind of added to it because I was suddenly like, ah, I was like, that wasn't and, that, and that's why to a certain degree, it, it, I, it does sound like I'm contradicting myself. But to me, it didn't it didn't work. Right. It, it, like the that experience just didn't mesh for me. But some playing something like Borderlands, where the style is completely outrageous to begin with, their massive, massive amount of quick time events works on a different level. Um, and they added just another level to that gameplay mechanic. So it made me feel more involved than a usual Telltale game would. But something like I played the first episode of game of thrones and i played a bit of batman and i actually even played a bit of guardians of the galaxy and i think guardians of the galaxy is a really good example to to preface what i'm talking about is the tone of guardians of the galaxy telltale didn't necessarily get it right but they did with tales of the borderlands borderlands is so fucking out there it's so extreme and it's so bombastically stupid that telltale were really really able to get that and build upon that. So it actually, the biggest compliment I could give it, Marcy, um, is I thought that that game was developed by the team who developed Borderlands. And I think that is the biggest compliment I can give it. It felt that much of an extension. Um, And I thought the characters were super developed and super well-rounded. The world of Pandora kind, kind of interests me more than the zombie apocalypse world. So it was super fun to be in that world. I am a massive, massive Borderland fan, you know, I, and I think that's important, right? Um, you know, I've played them all. I finished them all. I love them. So being in that world and seeing different sides of Hyperion and not necessarily just being a vault hunter, um, who was essentially like the class of character you playing in the mainstream games, seeing a different element to that world was exciting to me. And when you combine, essentially combine all of those elements, it just felt like a brilliant package that just kind of came together and just got it right. Whilst to me, it was, I, at the time I had never played anything like the walking dead. So there was a certain amount of novelty and I'm I'm not, all right. You have, yeah. Because <laughs> I wanted to bring it up as a negative to compare Walking Dead. Okay, so, bring it up. Um, Let's do it. The, the the incomparable David Cage's Heavy Rain. Yeah. Which is a very... Or, another or Fahrenheit. <laughs> I was even going to say Fahrenheit. I'm going to go back a bit earlier, yeah. 
I think they're definitely similar. They're in the same vein. They're in the same ballpark. They're playing the same sport. One playing it much better than the other, if you ask me. Because one of the things I remember when I like was playing The Walking Dead Season 1 was I was like, David Cage, you mad bastard. This is how you do it. This is how you do a really cinematic, almost like almost aggressively cinematic, almost like an interactive TV show or movie. Well, this see, is and how that's you do the thing, it. right? It's it, in my mind, to play devil's advocate, you are correct. But in my mind, I'm playing the David Cage movie versus The Walking Dead, which is appears to be more of a video game. You know what I mean? I think maybe it maybe I would argue back. I would also play Devil's Advocate. <laughs> no, can you, I can could, you uh, do that? <laughs> I, I just did. It happened. I fucking recorded. No, um, I would say it, it, it managed to marry marry that style of games to the medium better. I think that's why Heavy Rain for me is so awkward that I, his intentions were pure, but I think he failed on almost every single level you could possibly fail at making a game um <laughs> that's very harsh like, I, he, heavy rain heavy rain falls is shit. Down. It, it's not shit <laughs> kind of is but no heavy <laughs> rain falls down because as you said those games like the writing is so incredibly important it has to be so so strong the characters have to be believable um yeah maybe it is shit actually well no that was the, heavier, like uh, look, uh, the, yeah, the, the uh, it was the characters yeah the, it was the characters <laughs> who was they tried to present a diverse range of characters but i will be the first to say yeah the writing isn't very good but i love what they tried to do when in the walking dead you play as lee everett and you get to dictate his choices but you know like i said a lot of decisions you're making you're making for clementine and another character who they invented who feels really human to compare it to heavy rain where they have you play as a character and hear his inner thoughts and he turns out to be the serial killer that you're hunting. <laughs> well, why didn't you know you were playing as him? So like that, that, this, that, that dissonance, that dissonance. That kind of, like, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's almost like he made, uh, don't, don't get sour now because I know you like this game, but it's also like he wanted to make a story that just didn't fit um, the medium of video games while in The Walking Dead they came up with... Um, they came up with, with Clementine, I would say mainly, they came up with a good way to have a very simple story to tell um, through the medium of gaming where David Cage is, um, I think he, I think he thinks he's David Fincher or something. He like his, his, um, his murder mystery thing, like it would have been a bad movie script anyway, but when you put it into gaming, it makes no sense because you're playing as the person you're hunting and like why, Oh my god! Yeah, I actually, I'm really glad I played that game though because it's one of the funniest things I've ever played. Accidentally, and at the time it was like at the time it was I enjoyed it. Like it, it, I did sit back and go, yeah, well, but that I, was, I think that was it, stupid. It was kind of like it. it was kind of like L.A. Noir to a certain degree, developed by Rockstar, and which was like, look how beautiful this thing is. I remember being the like the showcase for the PlayStation Three. Like that, yeah, that was one of the yeah, things. Yeah. Oh, the graphics and heavy rain. I'm not going to, they were amazing yeah. at the time. Um, LA Noir was fantastic though. Yeah, I, I, I really like heavy yeah. rain. Yeah. LA, LA Noir was written very well. And like, I, yes, it had interesting exactly. game mechanics, like being able to read people's faces and stuff like that. Heavy rain was just like, they wrote a script and then they went, okay, how do we make sure we fit every single noir trope into the script? Even if they don't make any sense. What's a much um, better game. And I know that you guys have not played it please please do is detroit become human it is a much better game i don't know i made a blood oath to never to never buy another david cage game after heavy rain what? that's with who, with who? Yeah. <laughs> was, was it with david cage <laughs> who did I, you make I, that blood oath? i cut my left hand and my right hand <laughs> and i just 
And it's Marcy, it's actually funny because you brought up the earlier the significance of making a decision in a game, or maybe it was you, Liam, but knowing that that decision an hour later, we're interchangeable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you are, really. but knowing that an hour I later, the, sorry, if they made the decisions were interchangeable, that me and Liam, that's incredibly but, harsh. But, uh Detroit Become Human has this very interesting thing, which is you can see where your path is taking you. So as in, if you make a decision, you can actually, I, I believe it's at the end of the chapter, you can see which narrative tree that you've taken. So you can see, okay, this decision brought you off into this narrative path. So it's almost demonstrate to a certain degree, it's demonstrating the cockiness of the game, which is, hey, look, we actually thought this thing out every single decision you make has a consequence and a reaction. Um, but it is like from a character stand, uh, standpoint and a gameplay standpoint, it is, it's David Cage's best attempt at a story driven choice narrative ga- kind of game. Um, does it, does it reach the heights of walking dead and telltale? No, it doesn't. Or tales from borderlands. No, but look, I trust you. I like, I trust your, your, um, your gaming opinions. It's just, um, one of the four characters you played in Heavy Rain was the killer. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't make any sense. And Heavy Rain did do some things I just thought were absolutely ridiculous. Just a shower scene for absolutely no reason <laughs> whatsoever. Um, that, that's the thing. That, that's the thing. What kind of story? Like, I, I like to believe any type of story could be told through the medium of gaming. I think um, in the years since um, Heavy Rain and The Walking Dead, we've gotten better than that. A lot of cool really indie games. I played a really good short game called Florence for the for the Switch that was basically about kind of a disenfranchised 20 something who kind of you know the beginning and the course and end of a relationship and it did a really interesting youtube gameplay but what i think was really clever in the walking dead was that it's a story about zombies so even though it's narrative driven um a lot of the choices are very much save yourself and girl from being eaten by zombies while david cage tried to make a crime drama and couldn't really find a way to do it um as a game i, I think um Detroit Become Human is a more kind of um, it's robots, right? Yeah. Well, first of all, what Telltale <laughs> did was they bought massively uh, marketable franchises. Yeah. Well, yeah they, what they points. were almost doing to it, <laughs> it, it go if you go look at it, except, and it's funny, right? Because uh, Wolf Among Us, which is you know maybe critically over the course of the seasons, maybe their best reviewed game, is it probably their. It only got one season. season. Did not get two. Yeah. No. No. Interesting. So probably it's less known season or season and franchise. Yeah, Maybe apart from on, season one is probably based, so highly regarded based on fables, right? Fables, that's right. I couldn't think of it yet. Yeah, actually, <laughs> funnily enough, speaking of the Wolf Among Us and Heavy Rain, I would argue that the Wolf Among Us is a better murder mystery story oh, by yeah. Country Mild than Heavy Rain. Good it point. Does an, actually, yeah, it does an, good point. It's an incredible job at kind of introducing you to a murder and then who's the killer, etc. So. Um, but yeah, yeah sorry, ahead, my, my, my point being is, you know, with huge influxes of money, clearly the direction was what's popular right now. Yeah. Let's go buy Game of Thrones. Let's go buy Guardians of the Galaxy. Batman Minecraft, is always like, popular. Yeah. Minecraft. Minecraft is just, yeah. I will say the Batman game was actually, I don't know if you guys played it. Yeah, it was, a, it was a better, it was a better was. try for sure. Yeah, it was. It was more about Bruce Wayne. It was, again, going back to the roots of just telling a very good story from a character's point of view which they do really really well um but i suppose you know i've talked about telltale and kind of you know going defunct and all that kind of stuff why do you guys think 
is kind of the future of point and click games now, especially on that now you have a PC. So you're probably going to go back and revisit a bunch of old classics. But when it comes to the future of point and click games, what, what do you think that holds for them in, in the industry now? It's funny, right? Because I think, like, like I said, I think the evolution is the de-evolution. I think we, to a certain degree, go backwards. You know, we're maybe go to 2D isometric in terms of a stylistic point of view. But I think, I think the big differentiator is going to be the quality of storytelling and production value. So as in, you know, from voice acting to, to, to graphics, you know, the gameplay mechanics itself will, you know, always be a standard to a certain degree, but things are always going to, to look, play and sound better. I, I hope the, I hope the genre survives in um, through indie games because it's like it's a beloved part of my childhood. And I really mean beloved. I adore my memories of playing Monkey Island and such when I was a kid. So I think indie games. I think there'll always be someone who loves that genre who, will, like like Owen said, I think it's new think, voices, well, Liam. Right? Like it, yeah, it is yeah, new voices. Yeah. And I think I think he's right in saying what we might start seeing. Not, I'm not saying there's going to be an influx of point and click adventure games, but we're going to see people making more traditional ones. I think people who grew up with them, and then maybe there'll be another Telltale, Walking Dead type game that would really switch it up. But I well, hope to get some it, classic point and click adventure games over the like next. Like I wonder, years. could you argue as well to a certain degree, is the walking simulator an evolution yes. of the point and click and adventure games? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great shot. I think you know when I, when I think of those really truly brilliant narrative driven games you know a couple of guys who started um telltale went off to do campo santo mm-hmm. you know yeah. who are now bought and by valve and worked on half-life alex but. but some of the best games i played last four or five years have been walking simulators which is a title i, I hate that name because i think it just it, it shits on it right away um i think it was an insult originally i think it just yeah stuck. It was, when it was originally stuck yeah which i despise like firewatch is one of the best games i've played in firewatch. years um, what, oh, firewatch. what remains of edith which is Campbell's edith Campbell's edith Campbell's yeah which is um, absolutely amazing. one of my absolute favorite games of all time not only the last few years is a game called return of the obra din it's made by um the guy who made um papers please um oh oh wow which okay. which is um not a traditional point of click adventure game. It's a deduction detective game. Um, but uh, God, if if you know if the genre kind of you know produces stuff like that, I'll be very happy because Return of the Oberdin was like a ten out of ten masterpiece for me. Yeah, that's the kind of direction I point people in who were kind of you know maybe um, um, you know maybe grew up point of click adventure games and wants to find them. I think own oh, your your damn right. The quote unquote walking sim or these type of kind of puzzle games are the kind of maybe the modern face they're wearing, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Uh, Marcy, can they're I say? as well for the novice gamers or people who you know are like looking for a game to potentially play with their other half who isn't into gaming i always think the likes of the walking dead the walking simulators the point and clicks the the those games that one have the narrative and two have the personality and three just have some silly fucking puzzles which are yeah, fun. I, agreed. I, yeah, agreed. I think they're super super approachable to They're get people into gaming, there there are, and I think, and there are, and the, at the other side as well. Sometimes they can be completely amazing works of art. They've all gone to the rapture. To me, is one of the some of the mm-hmm. best games I've played in a long time. Uh, told uh, one of the most upsetting and amazing yeah. stories I've 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 heard in a long time. You're you're bang on on. 
And like Owen said earlier, like it's full of obtuse puzzles, but has there ever been a game like Grim Fandango just in terms of its story and its style? And when I was a kid in 2000, whenever it came out, I was blown away, but I'd never seen Casablanca. I didn't know about Dea de los Muertos or anything like that. And I just, well, what is this game? Um, I think you just see so many unique voices come through through that genre, which is another reason why I hope it kind of survives. Marcy, you were with me that day, weren't you? When we went into the Oxfam um charity shop in limerick city liam you love this oh yeah I'm probably I, walk in. I remember this yeah i walk in and lo and behold somebody had a copy hard copy of grim fandango in there Christine. oh it's a good story it's like brand story. like brand oh, new really? and it was it was uh, it wasn't available on digital at that time like you couldn't get like it, it was like 100 bucks to fucking get it off whatever ebay at the time that you were buying yeah. online i was so blown away it was one it was one of the greatest days of my life you did buy it right? oh yeah, yeah i still okay. have it <laughs> no, he, just, he, he just touched it and left i own as <laughs> much grim fandangos as i do we use at this stage <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a really weird really short story um how i found out about grim fandango i was playing thanks the everyone that's all we have time today <laughs> we'll move on to episode nine next week <laughs> Oh, you big meanie. Uh, no, I was playing The Curse of Monkey Island, the third Monkey Island game, over and over again in my youth because I loved it. And there's you find a dead skeleton in that game, and he has a badge on him that says, uh, if you examine it, your main character, Guybrush Threepwood, says, he says, he says um, the badge says, ask me about Grim Fandango. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, it turns out that was LucasArts' cheeky way of um, advertising the next game they had coming out. And I was reading um, a games magazine, and I just saw the words Grim Fandango like in a preview for this game, and I was like, that's the one the video game character told me about in the game. <laughs> that's how I heard that's about awesome. it. And then it was one of, hotly, one of my most hotly anticipated games for like that next year or whatever I got it for Christmas. I remember amazing Christmas. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Well, folks, I think uh, we can wrap it up there. Um, enjoyed that chit chat as always. Um, we'll be back uh, soon with a game super. that I'm still super soon. Super secret. I was going to say super, oh, super secret. secret. Sorry, I was like, super <laughs> Sorry. secret. I think like, I didn't know if we changed the dates. We don't tell um, anyone what we're talking about in the next yeah. episode, anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. I know. It's just um, we built it up now. I need to kind of keep the legend going. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's terrifying. That's my final hint. Um, but cool. yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you again for all the lovely feedback we get all the time um, from people talking about it. Um, to that one guy I work with who doesn't like it at all. Listen to something else. Not, not a big deal. There's lots of stuff out there. Um, but uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.